Welcome to Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour, brought to you by Merck Animal Health. Each podcast will delve into the research and current best practices for a variety of equine health problems with industry experts. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Today's guest is Dr. Rick Mitchell, who is part owner of Fairfield Equine Associates in Newtown, Connecticut. He practices equine medicine and surgery with an emphasis on lameness and imaging. Dr. Mitchell grew up in his family's working horse farm in North Carolina. He began participating in hunter-jumper and fox hunting events as a child and continued to compete as an adult. He graduated from the Oklahoma State University College of Veterinary Medicine in 1974. He served on active duty in the U.S. Air Force Veterinary Corps for two years following graduation. He then began private practice in Connecticut with his mentor, Dr. Howard Raven, in 1976. Dr. Mitchell has been internationally certified in veterinary acupuncture and equine locomotor pathology, as well as completing requirements for diplomate status in the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation in 2015. He has been involved in national and international equine competitions as both a rider and veterinarian. As a rider, he has won two national championships and one world championship in various disciplines. Dr. Mitchell served at six Olympic Games as an attending veterinarian for the U.S. equestrian team. He has authored multiple nationally and internationally published articles and textbook chapters on equine health care. He's been an invited speaker on sport horse medicine in the United States, Canada, Europe, South America, Africa, India, and Mexico. Dr. Mitchell has served on multiple boards of directors, including the U.S. Equestrian Federation, Connecticut Veterinary Medical Association, and the American Association of Equine Practitioners. Dr. Mitchell is a current trustee for the American Horse Council and chairman of the Health and Regulatory Committee. He was also a founding member of the International Society of Equine Locomotor Pathology, serving on the Society's Board of Directors. Thank you, Dr. Mitchell, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about proper techniques for equine joint injections in ambulatory environment. Let's go. Okay, Dr. Mitchell, let's uh, maybe get started. And you said anytime you're thinking about joint injections in the ambulatory environment, you want to establish the need for the therapy. Yes, certainly I think that it's very important to establish the need for therapy with a thorough physical examination, and that may include nerve blocks, radiography, ultrasound, uh, and and various examination techniques. Um, I think that it is a mistaken reference to refer to joint injections as maintenance. There's really no such thing as maintenance injections. Injections should be done on the basis of need, should be done on the basis of an established diagnosis, at least within reasonable probability. And then I think it is important to note, well, was this horse treated for this condition previously, and how long has it been? I think in that regard, it's valuable to know that it was three months ago or that it was six months ago or perhaps never. Uh, But to just inject joints because it's been three months or six months is is foolishness and really does not necessarily help the joints and in fact may actually be detrimental, uh, particularly in the use of repeated injections of corticosteroids. So. Once you've established the need for injections, then 
determining uh, where and how and under what circumstances you're going to perform these injections is very important. Uh, and the first thing that I require is that I need a, an adequate history of the horse to make sure that it's been recently healthy, that it hasn't recently had any, uh, you know, in the past few days, immunizations or any evidence of illness, uh, that it hasn't been subjected to significant travel stress, a long distance, uh, that sort of thing, because these can result in complications to joint injections. The other thing that I want is a clean horse. And I think it's very important that that horse be grooming clean. I don't mean that it has to be bathed in antiseptic soap, but it needs to be clean. Because the last thing you want to do is try to do an aseptic procedure with a dusty horse that's showering your injection site with, with debris. So insist that the, if you're going to do this, that they groom the horse, vacuum it, curry it, maybe they give it a bath, but don't bring it in out of the paddock covered with sand and start trying to prep a site aseptically. It's not wise. So beyond, from there, I think it's important to establish a good environment in which to work. Now certainly, uh, many stables have uh, good shelter where it, it's safe to perform joint injections. Uh, one needs to think about uh, lighting and adequ adequate lighting. One wants to think about minimizing dust. So for example, if it's a dirt floor, maybe we want to rake and then dampen it down or something so that there's not dust around your, your area of working. Uh, if there are fans on, perhaps we want to turn them off. If we, we have the horse in a breezy aisle, maybe we want to move it to a, a, a wash stall or some place where there's not so much air circulation. Uh, and then ask the barn staff to be cognizant of the fact that you're trying to do a sterile procedure and not be raking the aisle or using the blower to clean the aisle or mucking a stall immediately next to you while you're trying to do this procedure. And I think a lot of people end up having unfortunate contamination from little things like that that are so simple to control. Um, in preparing the injection site, uh, if the horse has a long hair coat, then I think it's probably necessary to clip. But if the hair coat is the normal springtime, summertime hair coat that's relatively short, I think uh, uh, clipping is unnecessary, and I think that's been well established with some studies and so forth. Um, but again, be careful about your injection site. I don't really want to make an injection in a coronary band to do a coffin joint if the coronary band has crusty lesions on it. So we have to think about that sort of thing. Um, once you start preparing, you want to make sure that everything else is ready for the joint injection once your preparation of the area is performed. Time results in recontamination. Time is necessary for scrubbing, a proper scrub time to, to physically wash away the, the bacteria, the dirt, the skin, uh, flakes and so forth, they need to be washed away. However, once you've, you've 
finished if that horse stands there for a long period of time while you're then drawing up your medications and so forth, it's going to get recontaminated. So the best thing to do is uh, prepare the products for the joint injection, uh, especially if you're working by yourself, uh, before you start your scrubbing process. I typically am drawing up medications while my technician is prepping the site. And so that way we're as efficient as possible and we're able to see more horses in the course of the day. Um, but I, I think that the, one of the major factors is too much time between preparation and then actual joint injection. So you need to minimize that. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. Learn more about Merck's equine products at Merck-Animal-Health-USA.com. As I said previously, uh, preparing uh, your joint medications, uh, again, those need to be prepared aseptically. Uh, I avoid multi-use vials for joint injection. Uh, I tend to uh, label everything that I've opened um, and uh, date it so that if I do use a portion of a bottle of a corticosteroid that I know that I opened that one today or yesterday and I'm going to use that bottle as quickly as possible or I'm going to discard it. Um, same for the other products as far as just um, you know, getting things organized. Um, I prefer the um, HA products that are already in a syringe. Um, that, that makes life simple and less handling. Um, but of course, not all products are, are that way, of course. Um, I think that once you've prepared your joint injection uh, materials, you need to be careful where you put them. You don't take them out and put them on the ground next to the horse's foot. Uh, and you know you keep them uh, semi-covered, uh, perhaps in a nice uh, plastic or stainless steel tray that can be cleansed you know, after use and before use um, and uh, minimize the exposure of those uh, products to the environment. I see people aseptically draw up medications. Uh, they glove up, they handle the product sterilely, they put them down and then they go and they inject and they're in a barn. And I think that laying those things out and leaving them exposed immediately provides for dust particles and so forth to be there. So I think speed is really important and, and getting things done efficiently rather than sterilely gloving up to do every, you can draw up medications out of sterile bottles aseptically without necessarily wearing sterile gloves. Um, and so uh, <clears throat> I think that it's, it's very important not to leave those things laying around uh, while you finish the scrub or you finish doing something else or you get in a conversation with the trainer. Uh, and once the joint injections are done, um, I w am very careful about how, what I advise the client to do with the horse. Uh, 
generally distal limb injections we bandage just to allow the injection site to seal. Uh, and I usually advise uh, keeping the wraps on for several hours so that we, we get a nice plug. Um, you know, ice boots could be applied if they're not wet. Uh, the horse could later on be cold hosed if, if you so desire. Um, hock injections, I generally don't bandage, uh, but I'm, as I said, I'm very careful about um, giving them a little while before we start hosing and that sort of thing because uh, of um, just letting the injection site seal. Uh, why do you cold hose? Well, you know, some horses will get a little irritated and a little uncomfortable simply from the injection procedure. And a little, a little uh, uh, hypothermia helps to minimize discomfort. Um, and I don't know if you've ever had a joint injected, but it's not always the most pleasant process. Horses are people too. And we want to take the best care of them that we possibly can. Exactly. So is there anything else in the handling techniques that you've developed over the years that might help another veterinarian? Um, when, when I'm doing joint injections, I've been accused of being uh, very uh, anal retentive and uh, I change gloves between every joint. Um, and some people think that that's impractical or silly, uh, but uh, I don't have problems with joint infections. Um, and uh, I think though that in, if, you, if you are working by yourself, it may be possible to use a clean hand, dirty hand technique that allows you to handle uh, products, but that needle that goes into the joint, that hand that's palpating the joint site before you place the needle, uh, they need to be sterile, and they need not to be uh, in the dirty hand. Um, so that can work uh, for, for the solo practitioner. Uh, but it's nice if you can find someone to quickly uh, hand you product when you need it uh, rather than trying to um, do it all by yourself. And while we're talking about someone to help you, what about handling the horse? Yeah, I think it's very important to have a competent handler um, that can re restrain the horse in such a way to keep you or themselves from getting injured should the horse object to what you're doing. Uh, sedation is a part of joint injection in my, in my practice. Uh, and I rarely inject any joint without some degree of uh, sedation on board. Uh, for distal limb injections, i.e. coffin joints, my entire practice of 11 veterinarians always block the horse at the abaxial sesamoid level before we inject the coffin joints. Uh, and you know, I keep uh, pictures in my phone of a couple of black eyes I got from days when I tried to be macho and not do that. It's good to know that you have, have learned yourself yes, as well as indeed. passing this on to others. Yes. Uh, so I think, you know, and but, but adequate restraint, um, I think injecting horses in the hind limbs uh, uh, definitely should involve sedation and a twitch uh, or some sort of restraint similar to a twitch um, and possibly if the horse is a real bad actor maybe one foot up but maybe not 
Um, I prefer not to have the feet up if I can, if I am injecting, simply because I, I worry about a sedated horse being unstable. Is there anything about the, the process either before or after that you want to mention that might help? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, cold hosing uh, or ice boots um, after a period of time uh, may give the horse a little discomfort and may, uh, um, may give the horse comfort and avoid a client calling you later saying, oh, the horse is a little, a little, little uncomfortable. Uh, I typically administer um, a systemic antibiotic at the time of joint injection, um, even though we try to be as aseptic as possible. Uh, and I also give the horse uh, a, typically a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory if it's appropriate for whatever it is I'm using in the joints. Following that, if we have sedated the horse, and particularly if we've used an agent such as butorphanol, uh, we recommend that the horse um, get some bran mashes, wet hay, small quantities, just to encourage good bowel motility uh, and minimize the possibility of GI stasis from the opioid effect of the butorphanol. I tell them to watch the water consumption, make sure they're drinking, and the horse should get out and move around uh, two or three times a day for a few days. I typically give horses anywhere from two to four days off after their joints are injected, just depending upon what was done and the nature of the, of the problem. But during that time that they're off, they still need to move around. Otherwise, that's the way you get, I believe, impaction colics and things like that from that change of activity all of a sudden. I use, I, I personally use betadine scrub. Uh, I think chlorhexidine scrub is fine. Um, I got away from using products such as septosol, uh, which is hexachlorothene, because I'm allergic to it. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I broke out in really bad blisters from it being on my hands for, under my gloves. So I don't, I don't, I don't use uh, septosol anymore, but, 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 but I'm, interestingly enough, not the chlorhexidine. So, but um, we, uh, I also, depending upon where I am working in the barn, I want to know what the water source is. And the water source might be such that you might want to put some sort of antiseptic solution, such as Nalvasan, in your water, um, or Betadine in your rinse water, uh, because of the potential for it, you know is it is it clean water? Right. You mentioned well water one time. Yeah. Yeah. Water. You just don't know. You don't know. So, but then a liberal liberal rinse with alcohol liberal rinse with alcohol. Some people like to follow that with a little topical povidone iodine spray. I don't know that it's totally necessary, but betadine spray, yeah. But some people follow the alcohol rinse with a betadine spray. Sometimes bandaging over that, some horses will react to it a little bit, you know, so I think that's your preference. And the other thing about scrubbing is there needs to be scrub time. <laughs> 
there needs to be, you know, three to five minutes of scrub time. You know, you need to get these, their skin's not clean. So you need to, you need to scrub. And the act, the act of scrubbing is as important as whatever antiseptic solution you use. The, the suds and the water and the flushing, that's, that's really important. Thank you, Dr. Mitchell, for joining us today on Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour, and thank you for listening to our podcast. You can hear previous and future podcasts of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Pippa. We hope you'll join us for a future edition of Disease Du Jour. And thank you to Merck Animal Health for sponsoring today's Disease Du Jour podcast.